This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know, of course, that I've got three daughters. I talk about them all the time, and so you can probably imagine how intrigued I was when I read the following passage, which is written by Tim Jordan, who's going to be our guest in the first part of today's show. There's been a tremendous amount of attention paid to the rising levels of depression, anxiety, cutting, and relationship aggression in girls over the past 50 years. But what if these issues aren't the real problem? What if adolescent girls don't have poor self-esteem? What if we've got it all wrong? What if we have missed the forest for the trees? Again, those are the words of Tim Jordan, who's got more than 30 years of working with girls. Tim's going to shine a light on what's really going on with girls as they undergo their normal transformation from girl to woman during adolescence. Tim's going to tell us about what goes on in some of the retreats and camps that he runs for girls, and he's going to help us to become aware of the needs girls have in areas like emotions, friendship struggles, self-quieting, finding their passions, body image, and stress. And best of all, he's going to show us how we, as moms and dads, can best support our daughters during this crucial stage of their development. Everything you've ever wanted to know about girls and a lot more is coming up in today's Positive Parenting Show, and we're going to jump right into it when we get back. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org. Take the Family Day Pledge and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dr. Tim Jordan, who's the author of Sleeping Beauties, Awakened Women, Guiding the Transformation of Adolescent Girls. Tim, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It certainly is. I want to start off with something that I read as part of the introduction, but I want to read again because I really think it's so important to setting the stage for our whole discussion. There has been a tremendous amount of attention paid to the rising levels of depression, anxiety, cutting, and relationship aggression in girls over the past 50 years. But what if these issues aren't the real problem? What if adolescent girls don't have poor self-esteem? What if we've got it all wrong? What if we have missed the forest for the trees? That is really intriguing. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, I just, I just ran a retreat for some high school girls, and I've, I've run camps for middle school and high school girls. And what I found is that when, I get, when you get them in a nice, nurturing, safe environment, they bloom. They do fine. Uh, we've, been, we've been hearing from, from authors uh, starting in the, probably in the 70s 
that said that is when girls hit about the middle school age that they would lose their self-esteem and then not get them back until after high school and or if maybe ever. And I think what I find is is that their self-esteem are fine. It's the environment that they're in. So if you, if you see them in the hallway of a middle school where there's all kinds of drama going on and insecurities and mean girl stuff and all that kind of thing, it's no different than an adult being in a toxic work environment. You're not going to be your best, and you're going to look a little insecure. You're not going to have the safety to, to have a voice and to speak up and you know be authentic and be yourself. When kids get a chance to be in a youth group or a place like my retreats and camps, they look just fine. So, I, And I think there are girls today, you know, the, the statistics does show that, that there are more girls who are depressed and anxious and cutting and, and eating disorders and that yeah. sort of thing. But to me, as I explained in the book, I think those are symptoms of a really important, crucial developmental stage that they're going through. You know, i.e. adolescence. Right. Well, let, let's talk about the environment, for example, because I'm, I'm kind of curious. If you're doing a retreat for girls or a camp for girls, you're still going to have the girls there. Are, are you somehow eliminating the bad girl, the mean girl, the, the pressure that the, the girls are putting on each other just by having the boys not there? No, the boys not there takes away that variable, which is impressing them and, you know, trying to suck up to them and, you know, trying to be attractive and all. But here's the thing. We do, we do an exercise where we, we tell the girls, we put a rope down the middle of the room. We say, cross the line if you have ever been teased. Cross the line if you've ever been made fun of. Cross the line if you've ever been excluded. And in a group of, say, 20 or 25 girls, almost all, if not all, will cross the line. If we then ask them, cross the line if you have teased somebody, if you have left somebody out, if you have spread rumors about somebody, guess what? They all cross the line. So they have an awareness that it's, it's not just the two way street. Alpha yeah. Queen B kind of girls who do it. They've all had a, a piece of the action, if you will. I think some girls do it more than others. But I think when you get them together and you create the safety and they start to share their stories and they start to understand each other at deeper levels, that breaks through the mischief. And then all of a sudden they, they care about each other. And then when you care about somebody, then you, you treat them differently. Let's talk a little bit more about these retreats. What goes on there and how do you select the girls who are going to be there? But they, they select us. You know, I do a lot of speaking. I, I do a lot of media work. I do a lot of writing. And so and I've been doing the retreats for 24 years, so we also have a lot of word of mouth. But we even get kids who come from out of state because I give a lot of talks out of state. And so they kind of select us. We're not looking for bright girls. We're not looking for girls with issues. We're not looking for student council presence. We're looking for girls. So we just throw them together. And we do, you know, we do exercises and games to kind of, you know, get them to sort of relax and all. But it's the sharing that it's the sharing piece that they like. We sit them on the carpet, on the floor, and we do exercises to help them become a little bit more honest, like the crossing the line thing, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I found with girls over the last 24 years is all you have to do is get them started, and they just go. They love to talk. They love to share their stories. They love to hear other stories of other girls because it tells them I'm not alone, I'm not crazy, and it's okay to feel the way I'm feeling. And that's a, that's a really huge piece for them. Is there a self-selection issue here that you're going to have, a, a, I guess, a group of girls who are going to be less likely to be the queen bees or the, the mean girls because they, they just wouldn't so, want to go we, to we something really like that? really powerful girls who come. You know, to me, the queen bees aren't—I you know, don't even use the word—I said mean girls earlier, so I guess I yeah. do say it sometimes, but I don't like to use that label because most of the girls I see in, in grade school, middle school, high school who are the quote-unquote queen bees— what I find is a lot of them are just really powerful girls, and they misuse their power. And schools are not giving girls chances to sit down and talk things through. They're not giving girls 
the skills to sit down and, and talk about their conflicts directly. That's a huge issue for girls. Mm-hmm. It's having the courage. If someone says something that you don't like or you hear that someone's talking about you, what we, would, what we would want them to do is to go to that person directly and say, hey, I don't, really, I don't appreciate the way you're treating me, to, to work it out and move on. What they do instead is, because they're so afraid that they confront that girl, number one, she'll be angry, and girls don't want anybody to be mad at them. She also might end up not wanting to be their friend anymore, or not only will she not want to be their friend, but she'll take a whole other group of five girls, and then all of a sudden you're alone. Huh. And to be alone for a girl is death. And so, and so they need they need skills to learn how to handle their conflicts directly. Mm-hmm. They also need practice. I'm, I'm going next week I, to work with a, a, a group of girls at a school. These are sixth grade girls. And the school called because this is a really tough class, apparently. And I met with six of the girls last week to see what they wanted. And uh, we're, so we're going to meet with, with this group, my wife and I, next week. And I, I guarantee you, when we, when we sit them on the floor, and, we, and you know, we're going to be there probably, I hope, eight times over the next two or three months. When we, when we teach them the skills to resolve conflicts and we get someone to come in the center to, to, you know, to talk through a real issue, nine times out of ten they're talking about things that happened years ago, months and years ago, that they never handled. The feelings are still there. The feelings are festered. They've been avoiding each other. It creates more drama. So when they just handle it and the whole group sees that it works, nobody's in trouble, they're hugging at the end, there may be tears sometimes, the girls line up because they want to handle stuff. They just need opportunities. Yeah. Now, Tim, I want to ask you something that may be a little odd, but you're a guy, uh-huh. and I, I know from experience from teaching expectant fathers that having a woman in the room changes the dynamic completely. Do you think that having you in the room running these workshops as the probably the only guy in the room, does that limit the amount of sharing and, and openness that the girls will have, or are you sufficiently older than them or sufficiently neutral that they don't really see you as as some intrusion i don't think that they do because i mean i've worked with girls for so long and people always ask me why are you working so so much with girls and i i tell them first of all um because of need like we in the last 15 years my wife and i have had one phone call with a school calling us saying we're having trouble with this group of boys you know the other 99 times it's been girls 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 so there's a need out there the same way with my with my counseling practice also, I tell them that I grew up, I had two older brothers growing up and five younger sisters. And so the, the youngest two especially, I, I helped to take care of. I, I changed diapers. I mean, I was like their second dad kind of. So I've been, I think I learned how to be comfortable with girls. And I, I think that I'm, I'm safe. I've learned how to do that. Um, and I, I don't think it holds them back. I, maybe it does, but I think I've, the feedback I get all the time is that I think that they, the girls are just fine with it. And my wife does, um, teaches the, the school things with me. And when I run retreats, um, it's not always my wife and maybe some other camp counselors, you know, who are girls, girls I eat in high school, college, or women. Um, but I don't think I don't think so. And they, I think they like having that presence, too. It's a different energy. I think it balances out something also. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some of the challenges that, that are facing girls today. Are they different than they used to be? I and mean, you said that there, there are instances where there, that there's more. There's more cutting. There's more depression in some cases. But... Are girls different today than they were when you know, twenty years ago? Their mothers for a generation. No, I don't. I don't think girls are different. But I think I, I read a lot of history because I, I like history, and I think when you look at, at child rearing practices, if you look at, at uh, how we've looked at girls, how we've looked at girls and their their bodies and their appearance, et cetera, et cetera, over the years, what what changes is what's going on around them. 
the cultural messages of the time, the expectations, the standards. And I think one of the things that is different in the last 10, 15 or so years is that there's, there's been way more pressure put on girls. And what I mean by the pressure, and it comes from a lot of places, one of them is there's an expectation today that girls are supposed to be really, really good at all the traditional male energy kind of things. So they're supposed to be aggressive and driven, and they're supposed to be um, willing to step on people to get to the top, um, and they're supposed to be at the top of their class, and they're supposed to be getting you know, straight A's and going to the top colleges. Those, those are traditionally more the boy things, you know, if you look back in history. But they're also still expected to be really good at the traditional female things. So they're supposed to be thin and pretty and hot and sexy, and they're supposed to be um, verbal, and they're supposed to be good with friendships, and they're supposed to be nurturing and kind and all those kinds of things. Tim Jordan is the author of Sleeping Beauties, Awakened Women. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue talking with you. McGruff, the crime dog here. Let's hear from an identity thief. Identities are easy to catch online. I send people an official-looking email pretending to be their bank or credit card company and ask them to confirm their personal information. Looks them every time. Safeguard your personal information on the phone, online, and especially at home because half of identity theft occurs by someone you think you know. Keep your identity to yourself and take a bite out of crime. Learn more from the National Crime Prevention Council at ncpc.org. A message from this station, the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, and the National Crime Prevention Council. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my 8th grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Check it out. It's the Terminator. Hey, when'd you get back, huh? Did you have to shoot anyone? Why are you so distant? Are you not happy to see me? So what's the deal? You gonna get a job now or what? Why are you being so jumpy? Put all that stuff behind you, okay? No one knows what it's like to come back from Iraq or Afghanistan unless they were there. Join other veterans at communityofveterans.org because we know where you're coming from. Brought to you by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Tim Jordan, who's the author of Sleeping Beauties, Awakened Women, Guiding the Transformation of Adolescent Girls. We were just talking before the break about differences between girls today and a generation or so ago, and you're arguing that there really isn't with the girls, but that there is with the environment that they're in. Yes, and, and the pressures on them from the outside, the pressures to be good at traditional boy things, the pressures to be good at traditional girl things, to be good girls. To, there's a ton of mixed messages out there about girls, plus all the sexualization messages and growing up early, their bodies change earlier, they go through puberty earlier. There's a whole That stuff is different. I think because girls are so busy and they're so distracted with all those activities and their technologies, there's so little time for girls to sort of have quiet time and to think and to, and to, and to reflect and to draw and to journal and to do the things that would help them to kind of make sense of what's going on. They just plow ahead. 
All right, we've been talking a little bit about the challenges. Let's talk about the brain and the hormones and what's going on with all that stuff. How is the brain affecting? I'm I'm going to a high school uh, this coming week. I've I've been going to the school for 16 years and talking to senior classes. I've been to three classes so far. I'm going next week. And and these are seniors in high school. And part of what I talk about is boys. It's it's an all-girls school. I talk about relationships and finding your soulmate. I give a talk about about their hormones, their female brain wiring, um, their cycles. And what's fascinating is these are 18-year-old young women, and they've never heard this stuff before. I don't know what they're teaching these girls in their health classes in fifth, sixth, eighth, whatever grade, but they, they sit there with open mouths. And all I'm talking about is, is how girls are wired to connect, girls are wired to communicate, girls are wired to have emotional sensitivity. I talk about the, the impact of estrogen and you know, when they start going through puberty and what that does. I talk about the, the influence of their hormones uh, in the four weeks of their cycle. Girls need that kind of information to understand what's going on in their bodies. Well, doesn't that seem a little bit odd to them coming from a guy? I mean, even though you are a pediatrician, it's still kind of personal. I'm a pediatrician. I'm a, my subspecialty is development, developmental and behavioral pediatrics. So I'm, I function more as a counselor now, but that's my background. I think, I think maybe, I'm sure, I don't know if I'm sure. I'm guessing at first when I start talking about those kind of things, they might think what's going on. But, but they love the information. And I, think I, I think I give it to them in a way that's easy to digest. They ask, they ask questions. We have lots of back and forth. They're laughing. They're going, oh, oh my God, no wonder. They love it. They just need some information and some guidance. And you talk in the book about stories and writing and journaling. Expand yeah. on that a little bit. What's, what's, how important is that and why is it so important? Well, they need outlets. They need outlets for their, their emotions. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book is how girls today, a lot of times by middle and high school, are disconnected from their emotions I ask them how they're feeling about really important life events that have happened. A lot of them can't tell me what the emotion is. They've been so busy that they haven't had a chance to slow down and check in. And that's a hugely important skill. So things like journaling or drawing or playing music or writing songs or writing poetry or you know, or dancing or singing, those are things that can quiet them, slow them down, and also get them to sort of express things in healthy ways. Because if they don't, what happens is, is those feelings build up the pressures build up, and then what you end up seeing is cutting and anxiety and depression and eating disorders. That, to me, is, is those symptoms like you talked about at the very beginning. To me, it's just you know, emotions and pressures shoved underground, and they come back up in unappro- inappropriate ways because they're not spending enough time appropriately expressing them. And is that related to what you call in the book stinking thinking? That's part of it. You know, Part of the, of the girls' wiring I tell them about is that when girls feel things, girls and our women, the emotional centers in their brain light up, and then the energy of the brain goes to two other places. One of them is the verbal centers, so when girls and our women are feeling things, they want to talk about it. And the other place is their prefrontal cortex, and it's a part of their brain that likes to think, think about things and think about things and think about things. One of the biggest issues with the girls this weekend was what they called overthinking. It's the same thing. It's, you know, I call it rumination, chewing on thoughts over and over and over again. And uh, so they need, they, need to help, they need help learning how to identify and become aware of when they're going down that path and then have some skills to learn how to switch it. Are there differences, do you think, between mother-daughter relationship and father-daughter relationships? Really? Yes. Um, how I are think, they different? I, mean, I think there's, if you're talking just about general closeness, no. If you're talking about the ways that moms and our dads influence and the way they connect, I think in general, yes, there are lots of differences and, and really fun and important ones. You know, I, th- I think you know, when we're talking about dads, because you're a dad, um, I think that 
things like, you know, just playing rough, you know, rough and tumble kind of play. Um, the way that dads tease and, and kind of, you know, poke fun and kind of prod and, and, you know, banter with their daughters. Those are things that kind of toughen girls up a little bit. It in in a good way, though, right? Personally. Oh, I'm sorry. In a good way, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. not saying like harsh criticism. I'm talking about right. fun, you know, fun kind of teasing. But it, does, it, makes, it helps girls learn to not take every little word so seriously. Um, there's, there's, there is research that shows that when dads are involved in those kinds of ways with their daughters, their girls end up being more independent, more competent. They have better self, they have better sense of humor. All good things. All right. So let's let's continue on, I guess, in some of these things. I want to get into a little bit of the practical here uh-huh. about what we as parents can do. And I, you, you know, I'm a dad. I've got three daughters, so these things are well, are top of mind for me in a lot of ways. But I, I agree with you. I mean, that, that there's. I'm different. I, I treat them differently than their mother treats them. Yeah. But they're equally important. I think that's a, a comment that you're making as well. But I think it's it's important for guys to know that they don't need to treat their daughters necessarily any less, I don't mean harshly exactly, but net less physically right. than their sons. They, they, and a lot of guys, I mean, I know some of these guys that are, are reluctant to throw their daughters around when they're, when they're young and wrestle with them and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that's... that's- not oh, too bad. Not necessary, right? Yeah. And two other things I think are they're important gifts that dads give their daughters. One of them is, and sons, I guess, I think dads are a little bit more direct with their discipline. I don't mean yelling. I don't mean being you know, authoritative. I just mean we're a little bit more matter of fact. Um, and I think moms in general, in general kind of spend more time with their kids. Moms have a little bit more of that nurturing kind of female energy. They can almost anticipate what their kids are thinking, right? Um, but in, in out in the real world, when, when their kids grow up and their daughters go out in the real world, their employers, their bosses are not going to anticipate their every need and whim. They're going to have to learn to take feedback and criticism and handle it, you know, appropriately. So I think dads prepare girls in that way. And also really important is, is if dads can focus on their daughter's non-physical qualities. There's so much energy out in the world about that you are how you look. There's so much energy on girls where you're defined by your appearance, your looks, your, your weight, your body. And so if dads can spend way more time, because I think in our culture it's just built in. We see little girls who go, oh, she's so cute, oh, that outfit's so darling. Instead of focusing on things like character, values, perseverance, uh, problem-solving kind of strategies, tenacity, mm-hmm. uh, resilience, integrity, those are way more important for girls in the long run. So well, I think that's a great role for dads to play, to let the girls know you're way more than your looks. Well, how do you deal with a specific issue as a dad? I'm kind of curious. If you have a girl who's 10 or 11 years old and, and insists that she's fat when she is not even remotely close to being fat, or who at a at a restaurant orders a diet drink when she doesn't need to be having a diet drink, what about that? What do, what do we do as guys? Can we say, oh, come on? Or what's what's the... What's the strategy well, for dealing curious. with this? And so I would say, well, that's interesting. I don't see you as being overweight, but it sounds like you feel like you are. What, why do you think that? I would act dumb. I'd act curious. And I, I would want them to be able to talk about where they heard that, i.e., are they looking at magazines, i.e., are they comparing themselves too much to their friends, which both those things are probably true. Um, sometimes it's also their mother's comments. I mean, their moms are a huge influence there. I've run some mother-daughter retreats um, all over the United States and also in Europe, and we asked the moms questions. We asked them a question with their, with, their, with their middle school daughters with them and say, how many of you moms talk badly about your body in front of your daughters? And most of the moms say, oh, no, I'm very careful. I know that's not a good thing. 
we say, okay, girls, how many of you have heard your mom say something negative? They all raise their hands. And About so their own body. Modeling is important. I think listening to them, um, giving them a voice, giving them places to talk about the pressures about how they're supposed to look, the standards put, you know, put out there. Also, teaching girls to be media and image savvy. Uh, we do that exercise with girls a lot. We have them, you know, there's, there's some Dove videos. Dove.com has some fun videos that shows um, girls being made up. It shows the difference between the real girl and the, the magazine cover girl. So the girls can start to learn that those images are not real. So there's a lot of things we can do to help them become more educated and more media and image savvy. Tim Jordan is the author of Sleeping Beauty's Awakened Women, Guiding the Transformation of Adolescent Girls. Tim, thanks for joining us. Great to You're have welcome. you. welcome. Thanks for having me. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. As an alternative to recycling? Yeah, an alternative. So we, like, don't have to do it. Recycling. There are lots of planets. Finding one is just a matter of time. Many people say that recycling is pretty simple and convenient. A matter of keeping select items out of the trash. A lot simpler than finding a new planet, Tommy. Come on, there's a bunch of planets out there. Would you recycle on this new planet, Tommy? Or just use it up and throw it away, too? I, I really don't have a clue. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and it's time for another Parents at Play column. Got Sam Fuse on the line, and she's going to tell us a little bit about something that I honestly, I wish that I were more up on these kinds of things about video games, but your family is. Talk to us about video games. Yeah, my husband is a huge gamer. I married into geek, but my son and my husband do need to have their bonding time. And now that he's getting a little older, um, they can they can play some child-friendly games. Now, I'm not recommending plugging your child in all day. I'm oh, no. not recommending going out and buying Grand Theft Auto and playing it with your six-year-old. Um, use your brain and also use the guidelines that are posted directly on the games. But the ones we're discussing today are all appropriate for parents to play with their children. Tell us about some of those. The first one was Rayman Legends. Yeah, Rayman is kind of a demented-looking rabbit. Um, and Rayman Legends is a follow-up to Rayman Origins. It's a 2D game, and the characters are able to hop back and forth and uh, from area to area. It's an easy-to-play but sort of intricate and hard-to-master game, not just for the child but for the parent as well. So it's not a game you're going to spend money on, put in your system, and be done with in a day. This is something you guys are going to be able to play for a while and really spend some time with together and, and learn as you go from level to level. And you have to play together. You have to work together if the two of you want to progress to the next level. The huh. next one is uh, Hot Wheels World's Best Driver. You can get it on pretty much any game system that you have. Basically, you start off by selecting a car, selecting a team, and you and your child can each customize a car. Um, you can actually feel some of the differences in the way the car is handled depending on what model that you've chosen. 
And if you are in multiplayer mode, you can take turns with the controller, um, which will seriously frustrate your children at, at some point. If you have a child that's very impatient or that just doesn't want to wait, you're going to have a hard time with that particular aspect of the game. But um, the rest of it is, is a really easy and fun game. And it also kind of works with your hand-eye coordination, which is good for pretty much everybody. Oh, yeah, that's one of the best things about you know the games that I do play with my with my daughter or anything on Xbox or Wii, that you really do have to work on these things. And, and there's a reason why a lot of the military, the various branches of the military, use video games to train soldiers because it's that hand-eye coordination that becomes very, very valuable later on. Yeah. So what about the Turbo game? Again, great game for, for young children. No violence, absolutely no violence involved. Turbo's a little snail that doesn't want to go slow. He wants to go fast. In one level, for example, was he was in a beauty parlor, and he needed to go up these big chairs and jump over the nail polish bottles. And this all sounds very simple, but if you're not in the exact right position, he's just going to keep flipping backwards, and he gets knocked over, and oh. he can't reach the next level, and he can't level up and things like that. So... It does take skill and practice, but it's a very easy game. It's a funny game. The characters sound just like they do in the movie. So you can read some more reviews of video games, family video games, at parentsatplay.com, and you can read all sorts of reviews of lots and lots of other things, too. For Samantha Fuse, I'm Armin Brandt. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.